There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Final Edition Radio Hour is a work of satire intended for people who own books, gentrify neighborhoods, and say they like kale. Please consume responsibly the satire, that is. Hi, I'm Tony Hendra, and welcome to the final edition Radio Hour. As this annus horribilis selectionis draws to its dreary close, we have a terrific show for you, which includes one last look at Hillary's painfully drab and uncriminal emails, our cast's opinions about matters of critical importance like the Cubs World Series win and California's possible legalization of marijuana, and the outrage of white people being racially profiled. Poor white people. Plus, the tragedy of Spinal Tap's lost millions. But most importantly, we're incredibly proud to announce our three podcast series about the most important issue in this election Men in Black Disrobing the Supreme Court. It launched this week on the truly awesome subscription service, Howl. Here's the URL to check it out and get a one-month free trial of Howl. HTTP colon forward slash forward slash HWL dot FM, that's all in lowercase, forward slash 2F capital B capital U 7C capital K. Use the code MIB, that's M-I-B for men in black. And it's all in caps. Now, fasten your seatbelts, and away we go with the final edition Radio Hour. Men on the street! Republican women are revolting from the GOP because of charges against Donald Trump for sexual assault. The final edition asks the man on the street, what do you think? I don't want a nice Republican man grabbing me by the pussy. I want them grabbing me from inside the uterus where they should be. Well, you know why the Republicans are red? Because they're just embarrassed. I think it's time for pussies to grab back. You know, ever since Abraham Lincoln grabbed that pussy back in Gettysburg, this has been what the Republican Party is all about. Somebody once asked Abraham Lincoln how long a woman's pussy should be. He said... Long enough to touch the ground. Look, let me just tell you right now that my father really respects women, and when he grabs my pussy, it's really respectful. Thank you. Thank you, honey. Dad, you never grabbed my pussy. Tiffany! Get out of here, Tiffany! Everyone hates you! Get out of here, Tiffany! If she weren't my daughter, I still wouldn't fuck her. Buried in paper, drowning under email after email. A scandal cannot be quashed into silence. Finally, the truth is out. Now we know why Hillary Clinton deleted those emails. This is the truth. Number one, Hillary Clinton thinks LOL means lots of love. So happy to hear that Daisy got into Harvard. LOL, Hillary. It doesn't. Number two, Hillary Clinton spelled your without the apostrophe one time. You're welcome. I'm glad you enjoyed the dinner. Love, H. Let's play that one again, shall we? You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Doesn't that lack of apostrophe grate on your very soul? Number three. 
She confused James S. with James W. Hey, James. Can I borrow your copy of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo since you finished with it? Oops. Sorry. Wrong James. Wrong James? Wrong James? Are you seriously considering electing this woman president? Hillary Clinton deleted a $5 off voucher from West Elm because she's too in the pocket of big business to need the discount. Hillary Clinton got stuck on caps lock and shouted at her book club by mistake. Hillary Clinton sent Bill an eggplant emoji because she was planning on making a moussaka. And she must be stopped. Wow, I loved the picture of Davis dressed as a pumpkin for Halloween. Thanks for sending. That was thanks with an X. Can you even believe it? Now, finally, the truth is out. It's your choice, America. Over to you. In central Iowa, two police officers were shot by a man known for displaying a Confederate flag. Since then, tensions have increased between police and white people. Jill Benson has that story. Young white males say they are now being profiled by law enforcement after two officers were shot by a white man. If you're a young white guy, you learn to be really careful around police. Like, you got to drive under 60 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour zone. And you can't even call the police fucktards, which is totally a violation of my First Amendment. You know, a bunch of white guys in Oregon even went on trial for something or other. I mean, they got off, but still. At the center of these tensions is a new stop-and-frisk policy. Police say they are only stopping and frisking in neighborhoods with the most guns. But critics point out that these always turn out to be white neighborhoods. Police Chief Manfred Mann defended the policy. Sure, stop and frisk barely found any weapons in the black neighborhoods in Brooklyn, but it's turning up an amazing number of guns in Des Moines. One neighbor who would not identify herself said she supports the profiling. I know this is politically incorrect, but most crimes are committed by white guys. That is so racist. I will not shut up. This is Jill Benson for the final edition. Honey, I think we should walk on the other side of the street. You're right, darling. There are a lot of ethnic people on this side. And who knows what they might do to us. Oh, no. But the other sidewalk is closed. What do we do? Follow me! Non-racist, man! After a regular news reporter got bitten by a group of racially diverse protesters, he gained the powers of being the only person in town who doesn't believe in ethnic stereotypes. He is Non-Racist Man. Will you help us pass these scary people? They look different than us, so I'm afraid. Sure thing, racist civilians. Let's go. Yo, man, what are you doing in this side of town? You don't belong here. Young African-American, this town is equally ours as it is yours. Now go out there and get a high-paying job. I already got one. Thanks, non-racist man. Excuse me, do you need help troubleshooting your mobile device? Oh no, it's a terrorist. That's no terrorist, that's just someone of Indian descent. My friend, even though you hail from the second most populated country in the world, I don't see any difference between you and me. I don't eat cows. That was a close one. Oh no, the worst race of all, gays. Um, excuse me, but being gay is not a race. Or a choice. Young lovers, we are just passing through. Please enjoy the rest of your day. Oh no! They're trying to turn me gay! Uh, That's not a thing any gays have the power to do. No. What I'm saying is that I'm gay, and was just afraid to admit it. Oh, well that explains a lot. I'm going with these guys. Bye! Bye. Thanks for protecting me, non-racist man. Now... Since my husband is gone, how about you and me get out of here? No way. I might not be racist, but I know a terribly ignorant person when I see one. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Mm-hmm. Tune in next week when non-racist man faces his hardest challenge yet. The U.S. Government.
Uh, bartender, pour me some whiskey. Coming right... Whoa, Donald? Oh, hey, Billy Bush. You're bartending now? Yes, the only gig I could get since NBC canned me. But uh, it's not so bad. Sometimes girls dance on the bar and I sneak a peek at their little bushies. Terrific. You okay, Donald? Uh, let's just say I don't feel like a winner today. Having trouble with a lady. Yeah, the United States of America. I moved on her like a bitch. Whoa, the Donald score! Shut up, Billy Bush! Just shut the hell up and let me tell my story. Sorry. Like I was saying, I moved on her like a bitch, but she wasn't interested. I even took her furniture shopping. You took a country furniture shopping? Yeah, I was gonna buy her a huge wall, but she even said no to that. I failed, I admit it. I think things started going downhill when I tried to grab her by the pussy. You mean Florida? Yeah, America's pussy. I spend too much time focusing on Florida. It's just too damn attractive down there. Whenever I see Florida, I just kiss. I can't help it. I kiss, 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 kiss. I just kiss. I kiss every square inch of Florida. Believe me. It's a pretty hot state. But I forgot to caress America's back. Avoided California, huh? And then I mess with Texas. Anal play. Ooh, I like it. Well, America didn't. And she dumped me for crooked Hillary, who doesn't even know how to kiss. Sorry, man. Hey, why don't you join me and Ryan Lochte down in Mexico this weekend? Mexico? That would be like going back to Marla Maples. I want the United States. <laughs> Now when I see her, she's totally changed her look. She's got these big, phony, progressive thoughts. (laughs) She's a really bad person, Billy, and it hurts. Whoa, I've never seen such a sensitive side to you, Donald. (laughs) I guess I'll just have to go back to my old standby, fucking my skyscrapers. Take care, Billy. Be well, Donald. Hey, ladies, free shots if you dance on the bar for Bushy. Free shots. The Final Edition Radio Hour will be right back. Welcome back to the Final Edition Radio Hour. Man on the street! Chicago Cubs won the World Series for the first time in 108 years. The Final Edition asked the man on the street. What do you think? Wow, that's a long time. They must be so old. If it's not free helmet night, I'm not interested. Well, the last time uh, Indians were mauled by a bear wasn't really pretty. I liked the second half of the game because they were all wet. Wait, we're all flying the W because we're all wet, right? It's not to think. The balls in the air and the audience... Is that what they're called? I'm going to let some of those cubs slide into my home, if you know what I mean. What do you mean? I mean, I'm going to have an open house. Oh. Can I come? No. This bullshit, man. Chicago's not even in America. I haven't gotten laid since the last time the Cubs won the World Series. I missed the seventh inning stretch because I was at yoga. Yeah. 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 Yeah, go Cubs. I don't know what happened. I like screaming. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wait, the Cubs? And the Bears are both Chicago. I just got it. Oh, being old is so boring. I wish we had something fun to do. Hey, no. How about we play the game of life? That's right. It's the Game of Life Senior Edition, the only board game for players age 60 and up. Oh, I wrote four. One, two, three, four. Oh, move into an assisted living home. Pay $5,000. My turn. 
Oh no, I landed on Watch All Your Friends Die. The Game of Life Senior Edition is just like the normal Game of Life, except instead of dealing with things you did a long time ago, like getting married and having kids, we focus on those events in your golden years. Hard and blame it on the baby. No one will question you. Jump ahead two spaces. It wasn't me. Let me go. During the Turner Classic Movie Marathon. Skip your next turn. Ah, uh-huh, you're old. You're old. I know. Oh, my turn. Receive a call from your Garen kids, but you can't remember their names because of Alzheimer's. Go back three spaces. <laughs> Wait, whose turn is it? It's yours again, James. My name isn't James, it's Samson. It's ours and hours of old people fun, all in one box. I have to get my diaper changed. All right, my turn next. No, I mean I actually have to get my diaper changed. Gross. Oh, wait, I do too. Uh-oh, better call the hospice nurse. The Game of Life Senior Edition has everything with spaces like this. Newsflash, you're racist, but everyone has given you a pass because you're 86. Move ahead six spaces. Thanks, white people. What are we doing again? It's the Game of Life Senior Edition. When does this end? You win by landing on the death space. I'm going again. Oh, it's my turn. I want this suffering to be over. Later, bring me another ham sandwich. And once you win and go to heaven, you can play the game that never ends. Monopoly Eternity Edition. Hi, I'm Cheryl Sandberg, COO of Facebook and author of Lean In. Some people think that women in the workplace is a topic to be relegated to boardrooms and dorm rooms, but I'm here at the Westside Comedy Theater to tell you they're wrong. It's also appropriate for festive occasions like Halloween, or as I like to call it, Halloween. If you think about it, there's no better occasion to practice leaning in than on the day when girls get asked for the very first time what I've always been asked on my first day in charge, what are you supposed to be? (laughs) The answer, girls, is the boss. I don't care what costume you're wearing. Elsa from Frozen, she rules a country, boss. Hermione Granger, she rules Harry Potter, Boss. Ballerina? Damn it, girls. Choreograph. Once you've exchanged pleasantries, remember to negotiate. With less societal pressure for them to stay thin, the boys will ask for more candy. You should, too. But the negotiating starts well before your brother barters for a baby Ruth. Know what you want going into this meeting. It's harder to ask for a treat if you've already given them the option of a trick. Next, make your partner a real partner. Choosing whom to trick or treat with should not be taken lightly. Sure, he's cute and dressed like a Jonas brother, but is he okay alternating doorbell duty? Will he wait for you while you fix your shoelace? What happens if you can't see through your mask? Pick someone who will share speaking time, make room for your hand in the plastic pumpkin, and even agree to introduce one another. Nothing says I'm the boss like having your partner introduce you as Ballet Mistress-in-Chief of the Royal Ballet London. (laughs) Finally, don't leave before you leave. If the door is still open, your job as a trick-or-treater isn't done. Remember, your job is to entertain your neighbor in character. So as long as the door is open, stay in character. Don't look at your feet, count your candy, or start singing Lady Gaga songs. Unless you're dressed as Lady Gaga, which is an acceptable boss costume. (laughs) As long as you follow these tips, you'll have a successful Halloween. Just remember, don't get caught up in the myth of doing it all. No one can hit every house. Even the homeowners have a bedtime. Done is better than perfect. 
And no one will know what your night was really like as long as you post a good picture to Facebook. Hey, do you know when the next train arrives? Excuse me? Do you know when the next train is getting here? Huh? Oh, I'm sorry. Can you not hear me? I'm sorry. I can't hear you. I have bad eyes. You have bad eyes? Yep. And because of your bad eyes, you can't hear me? Correct. That doesn't make any sense, and you just heard everything I just said. What? Hold on a second. Are we... Are we in a comedy sketch? Huh. I I can't hear... Drop the bit. I think we're, like, in a comedy sketch. What do you mean? Like, someone wrote us into a script with an absurd premise in the hopes of getting laughter from the listener. You mean, like, how I said I can't hear you because I have bad eyes? Exactly. Yeah. That's a really contrived, unintelligent idea. Yep. I think we're in a sketch. Hey! Hey! What are you doing? Trying to get the writer's attention. Hey! Well, it's too late. He already wrote the sketch, which is why we're now doing it. But doesn't that mean he's writing these words right now as I speak? Oh, I I guess so. So maybe I can get his attention and stop this before it goes on any longer. Hey, writer! Hey! But if he's already writing these, then are we still saying the words that he wrote? And maybe he wrote for us to be self-aware in this sketch, knowing quite well that the premise was nonsensical. Meaning that it's not really a bad premise at all, but satire on so-called bad comedy sketches. Well, that's quite genius, actually. Brilliant. Some of the best writing I've ever seen. Wait, are we just saying it's good because he's writing us to say that, or do we actually believe that? Good point. What do we actually know? Well, I know your name is Frankie. How? We've never said our names in this sketch. But they're written in the script. Aha! So our knowledge extends only to that of the writer, which means in actuality that we don't exist and are just one-dimensional characters created by this person. What? No. I exist. I'm from St. Louis and have a wife and three kids that I love dearly. You only knew that in the moment you said it. We didn't actually know any of that before... Because the writer just added it in. Okay, smart guy. What about you? Well, I... I, I, um, Hmm. Seems like I know nothing about myself. Hey, why didn't he give me any backstory? (laughs) Seems like my character's better than yours. He's not. He's probably just being a lazy writer. Hey! Hey, writer! Give me a backstory! Hey, guys, it's me, the writer. Did you just say something? I couldn't hear you. My eyes were closed. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. I'm Melissa Worthington for Alt Voices. We've been hearing a lot in this election cycle from people who get offended by a candidate's words, triggered by the statements of a candidate who speaks from the gut. In a country full of safe spaces for the elite, no one is telling the stories of the other side. So we went out into the communities and got the perspective our listeners deserve. Meet Joe from Virginia, who has been extremely impacted by these elections. Thank you so much for having me on, Melissa. My story is a simple one, but this election has shaken me to my core. You're not the only one, Flotus. You see, like millions of other children in this country, my son has always had a deep affection for our past presidents. Every morning... I watch him wait for his mom to bring him his breakfast. And he looks at his favorite placemat with the presidents on it. And it makes him so happy. Right under his bacon, he sees the great history of this country. He can name them all and the years they were in office. Well, this worked until he was old enough to realize what year it was and that the placemat wasn't up to date that we had specifically gone to the attic and found an old mat that stopped at Bush Jr. So we had to buy him a new one, which somehow 
the dog chewed up on the bottom right corner. But then he became unhappy because the dog had not off that entire president, so what was the point? Well, what he didn't know about that long afternoon of peanut butter and doggy diarrhea, that was for his protection. So, we got him another one. But before we put it out for him, we were once again able to protect his innocence with a steady hand and some whiteout. So he believed that the last president on his mat had an odd skin condition that made him look rather ghostly. But now, with these elections coming up, I just don't know what to do. If, heaven forbid, the she-devil gets into office, not only will my poor boy eat his Cheerios staring at a man named Hussein, but right next to him, a crooked criminal, a robotic, barely female supervillain. And that will change his world. You know, he came up to me the other day and with his big blue eyes, wider than saucers, asked, Daddy, I I heard at school, is it true that someone who looks like a gardener could be president someday? Like our cleaning lady even? I didn't know what to say. Here he was, my sweet boy, who every morning looked at those presidential faces, thinking... Maybe someday I can be the next pale manly face on this mat. And now he's having to live in a world where just anybody could be president. And it nearly broke my heart. Because my boy went from feeling like he belonged to the most special group of people on earth to just being anybody. The bottom right corner of the mat, even. No drinking glass or napkin covering it like the left side of the mat. No, just the butter knife. Barely even blocking the view of what could be a woman next to a black man. That's the real story, Melissa. The change they're all so eager to bring about crushing little boy's dreams across the nation. Touching. Don't worry, Joe. If Hillary wins, we'll get your boy some hormone therapy. I'm Melissa Worthington for Alt Voices. Welcome to Queenie's. May I take your order? Uh, yeah, I'll have a double burger and a medium Coke. That'll be a thousand calories. What'd you say? How much do I owe you? Uh, Nothing. It's just a thousand calories. I don't care. How much do I owe? We don't charge money at Queenie's. We just tell you exactly what's in your food. I'd rather just pay the money. And you wanted a medium Coke? Yeah, make it a large. That'll be 65 grams of high fructose corn syrup and one gram of unidentified flavoring known as Merchandise 7X. Here's what's in the hamburger bun. I don't want to know. Azodicarbonamide, which is also used to make yoga mats and shoe rubber. You done? The hamburger is 30% fat and may contain camel. I will pay you double if you just get me the food and don't tell me anything about it. But it's free. Uh, Do you want fries? The fries contain sodium acid, pyrophosphate, and dimethylpilosilate. I can't pronounce this, but they use it in Silly Putty. Yes, I want the fries. I want a large fry. Uh, You want a cookie? You're fucking right I want a cookie. The cookies have sodium bicarbonate, monocalcium phosphate, and sodium aluminum sulfate. It's just baking powder. Look, I can't change what I eat, all right? I've had a long day driving a school bus, not turning around and killing some of the softer kids. And all I thought about the whole time was a burger. I don't want to think about other terrible crap that I can't control. So the only thing you're doing here is just making me feel bad. Just, just, just take my money. I prefer that to the information. All right. I'm sorry. If that's how you want it. This is your credit card? Yes. Wells Fargo? Yes. Why? No reason. We will be back right after this. Thank you so much. Hi, welcome back to the final edition Radio Hour. Harry Shearer, legendary voiceover artist of The Simpsons, and more importantly, in my narrow little world, the equally legendary bassist Derek Smalls of Spinal Tap, announced recently that he was suing Vivendi 
the film giant that distributes our film, for $125 million for never paying the creators a cent of their share of the profits. This stunned fans of the movie, though not the movie world itself, which is quite accustomed to the criminality of film studios and producers when it comes to sharing the profits of someone else's work. But actually I, or rather Ian Faith, TAP's manager, revealed this vile criminality in an interview we at the final edition ran on the occasion of TAP's 30th birthday, back in 2014. We thought it would be fun to rerun it. And now for a special final edition Radio Hour interview. As most of our listeners probably know, this is the 30th anniversary of the release of the seminal film of our generation, or at least one very good movie, and that is This Is Spinal Tap. This Is Spinal Tap was a satire of the music industry, or perhaps it was more than that. We'll find out when we talk to Tony Hendra, who our listeners know as both the co-producer and co-star of the Final Edition Radio Hour, and as the man who played Sir Ian Faith, the band manager in Spinal Tap. I, I don't think Ian has been knighted. As just regular Ian Faith, a man who should have been knighted. (laughs) (laughs) Spinal Tap, to me, it was Spinal Tap, Monty Python, Holy Grail, and Animal House. Those are my three movies. The Trinity. uh, Yeah, of my uh, growing of comedy age, I guess it was. Although Animal House always stuck in my mind more because there was a a brief boob scene. But nonetheless, those were my comedy movies. Um, Actually, I would say that, that Animal House... It does fit in that in the Trinity sure. because it is actually uh, it, it got it got a sort of bad rap in a way because it became seen as a gross out movie with toga parties thrown in. It became a, it, people think of it as the frat movie, much like they think of uh, Calvin and Hobbes as Calvin pissing on things when it's deeper. Exactly. Sure. Yes, its reputation was determined by its imitators, mm-hmm. and um, and actually it was a very it was a very potent satire of further education in the United States. I mean, with the, you know, Dean Wormer, who's essentially Nixon, mm-hmm. who, who screws around with the Constitution of, uh, of uh, Faber College and, uh, you know, the ROTC, which is essentially the military and so forth and so on. So it, it actually, but all of that was kind of uh, lost under the welter of food fights and toga party. But no, it was, it obviously resonated for more than just a brief boob shot with me. Um, <laughs> As did uh, Spinal Tap. I don't think there were any boob shots, but there was no. talk of greased-up women on all fours, but Indeed. never any any shots. Um, Spinal Tap is in a short list of movies. I, I won't bother pretending to remember them. That has, I think, lasted sort of the test of its time. It's been thirty years, and I think it still resonates even with people that didn't experience sort of what it was perhaps on one level speaking to, which is sort of coming out of the 60s and into the 70s and into this, this, the 80s looming sort of corporate era of music and everything and, and making fun of those types of bands. And yet people still relate to them, even if they never knew any of those elements. Why, why do you think that is? Well, I think it's, it's, it's actually for several reasons. But one of, the reasons, one of the reasons I'd like to discuss tonight a bit is one that isn't, I don't think, talked about very much, which is that Spinal Tap is on the sort of primary level, a scathingly funny parody of the fecklessness and mindlessness of, uh, of heavy metal. But on, but on a deeper level, it seems to me, it is a satire. I mean, it's, it, because it's a satire, actually, of an entire system, of the lifestyle, of its assumptions, its personnel, that helped to make the likes of Spinal Tap uh, the culture, cultural nadir it was. Uh, or as one NYU cultural studies course taught by a very, very serious cultural studies professor called Andrew Ross once put it, Spinal Tap and the decline of Western civilization. <laughs> that was, now is that a cause and effect? <laughs> well, yes, apparently, according to Andrew Ross, who is a Scot, by the way, and a very left-wing poet, very that, left-wing Scot. Was that, maybe you're going to tell me, is that because Spinal Tap finally said the emperor has no clothes? And oh, so everything fell no. apart? I oh, mean, no, no, I think, random, uh, no. I think Spinal Tap was the meme, maybe, or the mm. trope, or, <laughs> or the tropey meme, uh, or the meme trope. The trim. Yeah. The trim. Uh, the trim. I, <laughs> I think the that was that movie. So, anyway, but, so we have the, the parodies, obviously, wonderfully carried off by the, the group itself, the, the, these lampoons of heavy metals, you know, musical subgenres with all their kind of idiotic priapism. But, but the, and, and obviously the, the lampoons, the parodies are, are brilliant. And yeah. they're, they're brilliant not only because of their ridiculous sexual 
memes. But um, but because of their pretension, I think it's one of the, one of the things that uh, Spinal Tap caught wonderfully was the pretension of heavy metal. Christopher Guest's uh, character Nigel Tufnell, who is basically the most moronic of the three morons who front tap. Uh, is also its most moronically pretentious with his wonderful work in progress, his trilogy in D minor, <laughs> yes. uh, which um, which has the working title of "Lick My Love Pump." His his pretension <laughs> is what led into the great like this one goes to eleven scene. Is, is, uh, oh yeah, it, it shattered his. He was he was professing such grand ambitions, and of course, actually, Stonehenge is 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 immensely pretentious too, mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of gone down in film history as. Um, an epic stage fail, but but really, its its lyrics and, and effects are just as funny because they're, I mean, they perfectly embody that kind of awful, flaccid Lord of the Rings-driven Celtic, Nordic, Aryan race memory fantasies. You know that heavy metal loves to wallow in. Well, it fits in also to that thing that they have earlier about having all the uh, appealing to um, all the male teenagers as their audience. Right. Was, I forget if that was in the scene when he had the... The, the ocean of retarded sexuality. But the thing is that surrounding these, these wonderful parodies is this kind of, uh, kind of 360-degree satire of the industry which brought us rock and fed off it both while it was alive, as alive and well and when it was a fly-blown corpse. And basically no rock, if you'll forgive the expression, is left unturned during... <laughs> Tap's pathetic journey, and uh, and all the slimy things under each one of them are given ample room to slime themselves into movie legend. You mentioned Fran Drescher, whose uh, character name is Bobby Fleckman, Mm -hmm. and she has that wonderful sort of New York, whiny New York voice. Perfect little publicist-ish type. I forget that was exactly her role. I mean, she's she's certainly a part of the, the, the... slime monument that is Polymer Records. And then there's Sir Dennis Eaton Hogg, of course, who is founder of Hogwood, which is his summer camp for pale young boys. And um, and even Howard Hessman. I don't know if Howard Hessman yeah, he was, played um, the uh, Terry Ladd. His, he was the manager of the other band, right, that they came across? Is that right? Yeah, that's yeah. right, in, in Memphis. And uh, the star was Duke Fame. Mm. And Duke Fame had been one of the many, many members of Spinal Tap. And what was great about that scene was that Duke Fame is e- equally talentless. I mean, he's just, sure. he's just as, as, as much a sort of bottom feeder as, as Tap is. But he's, uh, he happens to be on the upswing. So Howard Hessman won't let Spinal Tap touch him. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then he sort of gets out of an awkward situation. How are you, laddie? Great to see you, Tap. Terrific uh, to see you. Liam. But my favorite is Paul Schaefer's Artie Fufkin, mm-hmm. of the a and A&R guy in uh, Milwaukee or wherever it is. But he, he shows up at the, at the, at the record store and, uh, and eventually, having tried to blame the owner of the record store for the fact that none of the public has shown up, actually blames himself in this marvelous burst of passive aggression and says, I'm not asking, I'm telling with this. Kick my ass. One of the reasons why there's never been a sequel or, in fact, an effective imitation of it is that it was very much of a certain moment. And, and, it was, and I think everybody in the movie was sort of in some either superficial or profound way disappointed with, with rock and roll. And it, it was that moment where you still sort of could remember caring about it enough that you were actually disappointed. It's that totality of the picture, I think, that makes the movie so, so interesting. Everybody in the movie contributes to that that sort of world. And in that way, I think it's a satire, I mean, I would say it's a satire comparable, at least in its, in its scope and its success, to, to Dr. Strangelove, which mm-hmm. has the same kind of, it totally creates a world where, where logic is absent, completely absent. So we're talking about slime balls, and I've got to say, having now worked in entertainment some, if that's what I've been doing for the last million years, is your character resonates even more because you, as, a, as the band manager, have a unique sliminess that is sort of, you sort of have to tell lies to everybody um, in order to keep moving forward until, like, you can no longer lie anymore. When you sort of conceptualize your character was 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 liar part of the big one of the big words that drove it or, or well what? it it um no i didn't i mean i didn't really think about it very much until uh, well that's not quite true i mean i i figured or modeled what i was going to do with this character on a guy called andrew Andrew Lou Goldham, yes. um, but uh, he was the—I think he was the manager of the Rolling Stones—and he was very much. I mean, he was sort of a blonde, 
two-faced kind of fellow, and, um, and with a with a much more pucker upper-class kind of accent mm. than his um, his Scotney East End of London charges. Right. So it, it, that seemed to me to be that seemed to be a fairly good model. But I must say, as soon as I started improvising, I, I remember it exactly. It was it with the, the scene at the beginning of the movie when they're in the limousine and. Mm. Um, Ian is lying from the first time, the first moment he opens his mouth. It's a, he says the New York Times is going to do something, and then he says, um, "Well, we're not doing anything very much in New York because it's you know it's not worth it." But Philadelphia is a big rock town. It's it's just right from the start. He's he's making excuses for things before they happen. One of the things I always thought was interesting about Ian's character is that he, like you said, he'll say, "Oh, the New York Times is going to do something," and then they sort of he undercuts it. It struck me that he was the type that would always say something good, even if a second later it contradicted it. And in part, that was not just him lying, but him dealing with other characters, his charges, as you say, who are probably of the, the type of sociopath that only will hear the good things, that he kind of relied on being able to say, I'm going to give you a million dollars. No, I'm not. And all they heard was, I'm going to give you a million dollars because right, they right. want to believe the best about themselves. Right, exactly. But one of my favorite scenes, actually, is, is the scene where Nigel is worried about the food, the backstage food. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the and, and, and Ian is very... He's very attentive. You know, it's, it's not, he's not lying. He's actually trying to help poor moronic Nigel fold the meat around the bread in such a way that it might be edible. But then, you know, when, when Nigel starts getting worked up, he says, because he, he I don't want you to ruin your performance, you know. And he means it. He means it. He doesn't, he, it's, it Nigel's all he has, you know. And, um, and he's all Nigel has. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. You're right. I, Ian is a slime ball, and uh, I, I did it brilliantly. What do you think about Ian's role or other people's role in the movie as far as like sort of the corporatism of either looming corporatism of music or just in general because in a way Ian even though he's son of a slime ball he is management I mean he's their manager so he himself sort of is has a corporate element that's that's what I'm saying I think is why is one of the reasons it uh, it has a kind of universal appeal and and a continuing appeal because because as you say those the, those slime balls are still with us and they're still screwing us and they still run the show and 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 the fact is that that the, the record company hovers sort of invisibly over the whole movie. It's not just in the occasional characters that, that, that show up from the record industry. I mean, and, and often Ian's job is simply to be the messenger of that. I mean, when he produces the black album, which doesn't even have their name on it, you know, and, and, and tries to enthuse about it, that we're, finally we're on our way, you know. There is sort of this element of the corporation or the record company as God. Like, it, it's sort of Ian is struggling there and having to lie, but there's a sense that if the if the company really wanted to get behind it, they could make a star. I mean, oh, they could make it into Duke fame overnight if they wanted to. Right, yeah. and and yet that doesn't happen. And right. um, as I go back to this, the idea that you've just expressed, because this was it came out like in the, the height of the Reagan years, right? I mean, it came out in 1984 when mm -hmm. sort of unchained capitalism and greed is good, um, you know, was 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 really. Uh, was really really roaring, and the, the corporations had sort of almost overnight from being the villains of the peace in the 60s and 70s had were now the heroes. But I think this might be one of the reasons, if I'm right, this might be one of the reasons why, and I can reveal this now on our show. Reveal it. That the principles of this incredibly successful movie, I mean, it, it, one thing you can say about it is that it, it's not only been pretty successful, all over the English-speaking world, and indeed in parts of the non-English-speaking world, like Germany and France, all the money that presumably has been taken in by somebody, in fact by a number of corporations, uh, more than half a dozen actually, over the, over the 30 years, uh, not one cent of that has been enjoyed by the principles of the movie. No profit participation, although all of us had contracts guaranteeing profit participation. Not one cent of that wow. has been seen. So they got their revenge, the corporation. That's kind of amazing. And you did have contracts that said you get back. I mean, I know, look, Hollywood reporting, quote unquote, is making sure that every expense just goes in lockstep with um, every in piece of income. But that's kind okay, of ridiculous. The, the budget for this movie? It was, what, like $12? I mean, $4 million. Okay. Right. $4 million. It's I'm, probably one of the lowest budget, massive hit movies ever. And if. 
there comes a point where if a movie costs four million dollars and it continues to it's make like money 30 for thirty years, years, there's going to be some profit there somewhere. I, I do have a law degree and I'm a <laughs> member of the California bar, but I don't think I'm going to be I, the I best we, guy. To I think we ought to go on as a sort, sort of poor little spinal tap, you know, and go on Kickstarter and see if we can get enough money to uh, really slap them. That's well, what should w- do. W- would you raise money to fund a lawsuit, or we just raise money to pay yourselves? <laughs> because that's right. Why, why, why give it to the middleman? Yeah, um, just don't call me Liam. That was Tony Hendra who played Sir Ian. I keep saying Sir Ian. I want you to be a Sir <laughs> Ian Faith in Spinal Tap, or this is Spinal Tap, with not just some interesting artistic and creative insights, but also a legal bombshell. That's it. your pants we're back it's the final edition radio hour man on the street california is voting whether to legalize marijuana the final edition asks the man on the street what do you think it's not already legal i think pot's just a slippery slope to me killing hookers again well i don't know about you but this school bake sale is going next level i mean it is functionally legal at this point everyone can get a weed card quite frankly i don't think the government should make me lie about having glaucoma but will they be able to smoke pot in restaurants what kind of message are we sending if something that was once medicine is now recreational i love these tums thanks for putting them out of the party yeah that's prop 62 wait so now i have to pretend that i haven't had back pain for years people don't know Meth has a lot of medicinal purposes. Yeah, you can make shoes out of meth, man. Can I still text my dealer and meet him out back of my apartment, like, just to hang? Personally, I'm just going to go straight to the marijuana gum. I'm going with the marijuana patch. I'm so excited for the young people to start caring about raising plants again. After the success of the final edition's album, Are There Any Triggers Here Tonight? Presented in conjunction with the National Lampoon, we at the Final Edition Radio Hour are on the brink of another ambitious, gut-busting project. A blistering three-podcast satirical series, not about sensitive emails and sensitive portions of a lady's anatomy, but about the truly important issue in this election, the Supreme Court. Here's an inside taste of what's to come in some outtakes we couldn't find a home for. What happens when nine wacky Supreme Court justices share the bench and a big old house where they all live? Laughter happens on the new hit sitcom, Full Court. This week, the roomies debate how to break the news to little old Ruthie that her pal Antonin isn't coming back. Uh, Hi, Stephen. Hi, John. Hey, you guys. Where's Antonin? Golly, John, how do we tell Ruthie that Scalia is D-E-A-D? What? He's fucking dead. Stephen, we all have law degrees. Spelling isn't a good way of keeping secrets, D-U-M-M-Y. That's on this week's Full Court. Oh, I love you guys. How about this? Is it cruel and unusual punishment if you're dressed as a chicken and shot out of a cannon? Do you die? Well, yeah. Not cruel and unusual punishment. Come on, they dress you like a chicken. So? They put a beak on your face, attach feathers to your body, make you wear chicken feet, make you squawk like a chicken, stuff your chicken body into a cannon, light a match, and shoot your chicken ass out to sea. That is very cruel and unusual punishment. Do you die? How could anyone survive that? Then it's not punishment. It's only punishment if you survive, man. Why? Dudes, the objective of punishment is to reform. Okay? Not to kill. Therefore, punishment can't be cruel and unusual if it was never punishment to begin with. Fuck me. So the government can do whatever twisted shit it wants to you as long as it results in your death? Bingo. 
I think you guys are finally getting it. Well, how about this? Wait, wait. Before we go any further, does anyone need a re-up of angel dust? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 sure. Man. Definitely. Okay, so how about this? They dress you like a little baby with a pacifier and everything. They tie you to a camel who then runs full speed for three straight weeks in the desert, dragging you behind it. Each night, you have to sing a love song to the camel. And if the camel doesn't like it, he spits on you. And depending on what color the spit is, that's how you know what your mom's maiden name was. And then if your mom was not a good person, you'll know because it'll make you break out in hives. Do you die? Yeah. New on the Law Channel, Hillbilly Supreme Court Justice. We now join already in progress the oral argument of Robin C. Conrad on behalf of the petitioners in the death penalty case of the hapless city feller versus Dogpatch, Kentucky. Bailiff Ziggurat, commence with the hollering. All right, get off your smelly butts, Dricky, for a whoop your bridges plum hard into marshmallows. The Honorable Chief Justice Zig Cooter up presides. Thank you, Bailiff. Sit down, your behinds. Bailiff, please bring on the next case for my perusal. Your Honor, counsel approaches. Uh, good morning, Mr. Chief Justice. Uh, my name is Mr. Well, what do we got here? <laughs> Looks like we got ourselves a hapless city, fella. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you, Your Honor, but uh, actually, I'm counsel for the individual known as hapless city feller you never should have come around these parts uh, uh, in this district Uh, uh, in this particular jurisdiction i mean that's what i'm talking about basically you get the gist Uh, yes your honor court reporter please read back the transcripts from your electronic spoken word recording device but baby I mean, your honor, you know I can't read. Duly noted for the record. Proceed, counsel. If I may please the court with my oral argument. Excuse me? uh, May I please, your honor, present my oral argument? Come again? I wish to present you my oral argument. I heard you saying oral three times. Court reporter, how many times did he say oral? But, baby, you know I can't count. Duly noted. Uh, Your Honor, I'm here to present my argument against the constitutionality of the death penalty. Daddy's a great Jew dictator! Shut your mouth! Ow! 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 Shut your ugly hole. You're the shame of the family. Your mother must have laid with a possum. Cause you ain't no son of mine. Ow! 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 Right. So, Castle, how do you want to present your case again? Orally. That's it. Course adjourned while we take you yonder to the old dry crick bed to do whatnot in assorted hurtings upon your torso. What? You're going to remand me to the old dry crick bed for torture? <laughs> Hell no. We're just going to take you yonder to the old dry crick bed to do whatnot in assorted hurtings upon your torso. Objection. My God, you don't even know what remand means. Objection sustained. And I also object that the court report. Porter and Bailiff are being played by the same actor. But they are the same person. That's my son. And his son. Regardless, you still must be punished. What's the punishment then? You have the choice of a small fine or chi-chi. What's the small fine? Death. Hmm. What's chi-chi? Don't worry about that. That's where we put you in a barrel and fuck you, light you on fire and roll you down a hill onto a big cactus, fuck you again, then we rip out your intestines, which we then reuse as rope, 
at the local parkour facility. Big hit with the tourists, and we fuck you again. I object, Your Honor. The state of Kentucky outlawed Chi-Chi five years ago as cruel and unusual punishment in the case of the missionary versus the lost Amazon tribe. Mm, uh, hmm. uh, 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 I reckon you're right. <laughs> the court rescinds the punishment known as Chi-Chi. Thank goodness. Death is bad enough, but Chi-Chi would be unbearable. Counsel, after much deliberating, I have reached my verdict. Your argument before me today was inspiring and eloquent. Your words have compelled this court to show mercy and compassion upon the accused by giving you as quick and painless an execution as medically possible using only the most modern and scientific methods available. So death it is. I reckon. Thank you, Your Honor. But first, Chi-Chi. Oh, God, no! Join us again next week on Hillbilly Supreme Court Justice to see what comes next on Zed Cooter's docket. Who said docket in my court? <laughs> you know I can't read! You know he can't read! We're the same person! Uh, hello? Yeah, are you Merrick Garland? <laughs> um, yeah... <laughs> Am I in the right place? I got a message saying I should meet Sam at the Supreme Court. That's me, bud. Justice Sam Alito. But my friends call me Lido Deck. I'm kind of the Supreme Court's cruise director. Look, I know Congress is trying to hold you up until after the election, but we at the court have our own confirmation tradition. Yeah, SCOTUS needs to get a crack at you. First, if you know what we mean. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Yeah, bitch. You're ours now. Uh, I, I don't understand. Is this, uh, like, uh, hazing? Let me see if I can explain it. The court rules on lots of stuff. The court rules! And you have to be familiar with lots of issues, like... The ice caps melting. Oh! oh, You just poured ice over my head. Or deficit cuts. Hey! You just cut my hair. Stop it! Or what? You're gonna snitch on us to Dean Obama? Now you're gonna get it, Pledge. I'm your chief. I'm John Roberts. Dude, don't be a bork. Borks get forks. Ow! Where did you get a fork? So, do you want to be part of Scotus House or not? Do I want to be a justice? Um, I do? He does! The court rules! Hi, are you new? I'm Elena. Justice Kagan, stop it. I was the new pledge last time. Hey, justices, let's make a mascot a lobbyist. Ooh, let's make her perform a transvaginal ultrasound. Hashtag warn women. Hashtag that's what's up. I know, let's make him hunt a person for sport. We don't have time. We have to get ready for the toga kegger. (gasps) I can't believe the Supreme Court throws toga parties. With these robes, every day is a toga party. Garland, do a keg stand. How do you feel? Um, the court rules? The court rules! SCOTUS, SCOTUS! Oh no! Habeas Corpus!
Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening to the Final Edition Radio Hour. The voices of the Final Edition are performed by Bruce Cherry, Jen Dodd, Jim Earl, Rob Gordon, Tony Hendra, Keith Saltohanes, Samantha Gerwitz, Sean Ari Leher, Dan Frick, Jeff Hendrick, Dan Vitale, Jeff Chrysler, Barry Lank, John Marshall, Abby Parker, Rachel Rauch, Steve Rosenfield, James Mount, Jessica Park, Kurt Weitzman, Rob Miller, Kayla Merrill, Andrew Danish, Leslie Shapira, and Tuchel, and Darby Worley. Credit to our writers at the Final Edition Radio Hour, Bruce Cherry, Jen Dodd, Jim Earl, Rob Gordon, Tony Hindra, Jeff Hendrick, Jeff Chrysler, John Marshall, Barry Lank, James Mount, Jessica Park, Kurt Weitzman, Leslie Shapira, Kate Knowles, Jeremy Rayburn, and Steve Rosenfield. The Final Edition is produced and directed by Tony Hendra and Jeff Chrysler. West Coast production by Barry Lank. Audio edited and engineered by Greg Russ and Andrew Hammond. The Final Edition Radio Hour is the property of the Final Edition LLC. Copyright 2014. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.